Hey everybody, we just got back from vacation and though it was lovely, my laptop broke. So we actually lost my part to this and next week's episode. So I'm going to go ahead and re-record the intro, but when you hear me kind of awkwardly ask the questions and my mysterious lack of banter, it's because those files are forever gone. But I hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. I'm definitely not here to tell you how to win friends and influence people. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Loyal listener, you are our fearless driver, steering us ever onward into the forest of friendship. When asked what defines friendship, Dr. Bill Rollins responded, somebody to talk to, someone to depend on, and someone to enjoy. These expectations remain the same, but the circumstances under which they're accomplished change. Last week, we covered friendship as it develops from young childhood through young adulthood. We're picking up right where we left off and delving deeper into those young adult friendships this week. Don, what are some ways that friendships change from adolescence to young adulthood? Well, in adolescence, we look for virtual mirrors, friends that reflect the identities we're trying to create. We need this support of sameness because our identities are somewhat fragile at this point. As we enter the college years, our identities are more well-formed, and we begin to look for friends who complement us and provide perspectives other than our own. Because we're more firmly planted in our sense of self, tolerating and incorporating differences becomes easier again, like it was in young childhood, where exploration of various identities is typical. So in adolescence, we're looking for folks that do or are some of the things that we are, like you guys with marching band, or people who are athletes, or people who are theater folks, or science geeks, those kinds of things. But we want to associate with folks who are more like us because they reinforce our nascent and and growing sense of self. Your click. It's essentially your click. That's kind of got a negative connotation. As you get older, it becomes easier to accept influence from people who are within that group, but may hold a slightly different opinion about the thing. Whereas when you're in the younger adolescence, you prefer people who are going to back up your opinion. Yes. And a lot of that has to do regardless of age and really with level of confidence in self. So the the stronger your sense of self is, the more able you are to listen to and accept a variety of points of view and a variety of way of living without feeling threatened. The less secure you are in that sense, the more you want people who do exactly what you do and the more you want to force other people to do it the way you do. That's a sign of insecurity. One of the hard things about this in the literature is how do you define what a young adult is? When, when does that start to happen? And one of the ways that the researchers have identified this is thinking about it in terms of the relationship to the family of origin after the age of 18. So they demark 18 because that's the legal age, at least in North America, to engage in contracts and do that kind of stuff. So the research looks at uh, three phases. The single phase, where you're over 18, 
uh, and not yet in a committed relationship. Whoa, me. Yep, that's you. The married or committed without children phase, and then the parenthood phase. I'm in the grandparent phase, if only. You're, you're in the grand pet phase. I'm interphase. Anyway, think about that, though. So single and on your own and the kinds of friends you develop there, married or in a committed relationship without kids and the kind of friends you develop there, and then what happens in parenthood. The idea, in social psychology at least, is that as children develop into adults, they transition from getting their social needs met by their family of origin to getting those needs met by people unrelated to them. As we've been going along in this developmental phase, you saw that in early childhood, around the time of developing a best friend, is the transition more into others. And then in teen years, you really need the identification with those folks, your teen group, because you're trying to differentiate from parents. One of the challenges is that young adults move through these phases at different rates, so friendships are sometimes changed by the shift in needs. I was married by 22, so I was already in that phase by 22, but many of my peer group were not. Yours was also a slightly different experience in that you were in the Army, so your friend group was kind of based around that to an extent, and then also would change based on that dynamic. So for me... I don't know how, how interested the listeners are in my life, but for me, there was college, I got married, I went to graduate school, and there were my graduate school friends who are still my friends, uh, as, as a matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, we'll go to the beach as we have for, what, two decades? 23 <laughs> 23 years? years with you know, my best friend from graduate school and his family. So that's one way that that stayed intact. And then I left graduate school and went right into the military. Uh, so those transitions broke up a lot of my long-term friendships simply because it was hard to stay in contact with folks. Because the internet didn't exist back then, because you're old. Internet didn't exist. Cell phones didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, even if you are keeping up with them, in quotations, it's more of a passive keeping up of checking their social media and not so much talking to them, knowing that this friend that I had way back when, my arch nemesis from third grade, you know, is in a partnership and owns a house. Like, I know these things, but, you know, I'm not their friend anymore, but still have that level of connection to them. You know, friendships are hard through the ages and distance and differences get in the way. I would love to say that I'm friends with all the people that I knew in, in high school or college or graduate school or even in the army. And I was friends with them at those periods of time. And if they showed up in my life again, I am sure that we would reconnect easily. At least I would want to reconnect easily. And at the same time, I recognize everybody's life gets busy and we get distracted. Uh, and that's actually one of the key things that's happening in this phase is that there's a lot of, of pressure in this phase either going from high school into the workforce or from college into the workforce or even into graduate school. But there's a lot of societal pressure to settle down, to develop a romantic relationship, to get a job, to let go of childish behavior and adult. And I don't know how many times when you guys were in your early 20s, you would call me and say, I don't want to adult anymore. Adulting is... I still call you and say that. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of pressure in this age range um, that gets in the way of friendships. And creating friendships can be more complicated. You know? So when you're in school, like either high school or college, you have shared space, you have shared schedules and shared activities and shared interests. And all of those things are all relatively close together. 
you know, I remember when I was in college, there was every Friday night, there was movie night and you would go down to the student union and you could get in to see the movie and sit with you know, different people and that kind of thing. That's not actually happening when you get past that school deal. After college and, you know, when we first enter the workforce, maybe after high school, you find yourself living alone or maybe with a roommate. Schedules may not be similar or compatible. You have to search for activities and interests that may be a distance from where you live. So you have to put energy into going there. That makes it harder to make friends. What are some skills to help folks make friends as young adults? Well, I can solidly say I am still learning these skills. So research, if we're looking at that, shows that individuals have their largest friend group by about age 25, and then it shrinks as responsibilities mount. Uh, so cool, I'm 27, and I have like three friends. Yikes. And you can see how the responsibilities do mount, and that time to invest in friendships and to do things diminishes, and the energy for it diminishes as well. And I don't think Ben or I are disagreeing with that research. It's more of just like a curiosity of what the research entails and, you know, what dynamics like were these people starting out with fraternity sized friend groups? And then it was reducing significantly, whereas like Ben and I both kind of started out with like a handful of friends. And that kind of has to do with the responsibilities. So your responsibilities might mount but your friendships are then changing. Uh, so that original investment of friends will change and possibly shrink because, you know, you're busier. You can't manage having 20 people that you keep up with all the time. It becomes like a group of 10 to 15 and then smaller and smaller. So, I mean, that makes sense. I, it's just sad. It's also hard, too, because, you know, when, when you go into the workforce and you look for a job, sometimes the job opportunities are somewhere other than where you have been living, like at college or somewhere else. And, and when you move to a new place, now it's more difficult to find these people, to find your crew uh, and connect with them. Well, you have to start over and then you also lose contact with your old friends. Or if you're trying to stay in contact, it can distract you from making new friends. So the internet is beautiful in that you can text your friends all day, every day. But if you're constantly on your phone or on your devices, then you're missing out on the opportunities to connect with other people outside of your old friend group that's no longer physically here. And old friends are important. They're a great part of your life. But that physical component of being face to face, which I know right now we can't do, is incredibly important. And we've talked about that in the past as well, as the emotional connection you have when you're face-to-face -face with someone in the same room, which you just don't get when your friends are in Montana and you're living in North Carolina. We've reached this weird phase. And then, you know, as we were mentioning, as you start to create this new friend group, everything kind of feels like small talk at first, which is essential. I mean, that's how you build acquaintances. But it can feel exhausting if you don't have any close friends already within this. But deep conversations require trust and, you know, trust equation. Reliability plus credibility plus approachability divided by self-orientation. Trust does require a lot of interactions and it takes actively engaging with these people that you're meeting. So small talk, shared interests, and then kind of moving into the deeper conversations about 
life, love, the universe, happiness, all of the existential things that we love talking about. I love talking about those. You do have to allow for small talk. Small talk doesn't have to not have those deeper existential things. You can have less personal conversations about the bigger topics. Mm -hmm. A lot of this has to do with your level of vulnerability. So the difference between small talk and deeper conversations is when you're going deeper, you become more vulnerable. You're opening up more of who you are and what you feel and think. Uh, so the more you do that, the, the more, of course, you can get hurt. You want that relationship to be strong before you create a situation where you can get hurt. And you want to find people who are willing to be as vulnerable with you as you are with them. We've also talked about that a fair amount in the past. An important thing is to be the friend that you want to have, which can be scary because sometimes if you're really good at being a friend, you can kind of get lost in trying to be a good friend for somebody who's not necessarily being a good friend back. Uh, so you do have to pay attention to those cues. We talked a bit about that in romantic relationships way back when, all the way back at the beginning of this, as far as the succubus relationship that kind of pulls all of your energy away. So you do sometimes need to trim off the relationships that aren't the best for you. Also, gratitude is an amazing tool in friendship. Let the people that you enjoy spending time with know that you enjoy spending time with them. It's amazing what happens when you tell people like, hey, I really enjoyed getting drinks with you or having our happy hour Zoom meeting. That was excellent. Let's keep doing this. It makes you feel better and it lets them know that you truly are enjoying their companionship. A lot of people struggle with that anxiety of, I don't know if the people I'm spending time with actually enjoy spending time with me. Or at least I hope it's a lot of people. I hope I'm not alone in that thought. You're not alone. The underlying statement here being, tell your friends that you enjoy spending time with them. It's reassuring and they might also share the same statements back, which can be a wonderful experience. The fun phase that I'm in is all of the friends who are getting into romantic partnerships and how that changes relationships. I'm that single 27-year-old character in this realm of relationships here. And it's interesting to see how my relationships have changed as various friends have gotten into relationships and those relationships have matured. And I've actually lost friends because they start to pay more attention to their partner than they do to me as a friend. And it becomes exhausting for me to constantly reach out to them and say, hey, let's spend time together. Let's do this thing when they're clearly not that interested in spending time with me at the moment. And it's natural. Like you want to be with your romantic partner. There's someone who fulfills you. There's someone that you feel vulnerable and trustworthy with. And it just feels good to have a romantic partner, hence why we tend to search for them. But it can push your friends away. So if you are one of those people getting into a new relationship, make sure you're still creating time for your friends. Make sure you're still checking in with them because it can be an incredibly distancing experience. And then, you know, that increases as the relationship either gets more serious or kids become part of the relationship. And it can really change that dynamic 
if you're the single person being friends with the married couple with kids. Like you're living very different lifestyles at that point, and it's hard to maintain that friendship. Since you brought up romance, what are your thoughts about technology, apps, and dating? It's chaos and I hate it. (laughs) You know, dating back in the day was limited to meeting people through work and being set up by mutual friends. I don't even know. Do you guys do blind dates anymore? Well, no, no one does any dating right now because, you know, we can't leave the house. Yeah, I know. It's a variant. It's a robotic variant (laughs) of the blind date. And the blind date, at least each of you that were meeting one another knew the person who was arranging it for you. So there was some level of connections there. Or, you know, you guys did this, I'm sure, the Friday and Saturday night uh, club crawl where you'd go to different bars or different things. You guys didn't do that? With what time? I did that. All right, party boy. Well, that's the way to meet people. Back in the day, at least. The original blind date, though, was still about relationships. There were people involved in organizing that. Now there is simply a mathematical equation. Well, and mathematical equation not taking into account the catfishing, the bots, the, you know, people who misrepresent who they are online the people who will lead you on for months and then, you know, randomly stop talking to you. With a blind date, there's some level of empathy and responsibility of actually showing up to it. Anyway, Don was talking about his party days with his Friday and Saturday night club crawls. <laughs> yes, so, this is Please do to you, continue. Huh? <laughs> you want to hear more about that? So you want to hear about the clubs I used to crawl? No. The other thing is, is that back then in the day, people also met through other organizations like uh, religious institutions, school, volunteer work was a big way that people connected back before the internet and all of those things. Today, all that information's on your phone and you just swipe left or right. And that's as much as I know about that whole technology world. To catch you up, they're <laughs> miserable. Oh, the, the technology and friendship is an interesting blend. Technology and romance is even more interesting, I suppose is a word. Chaotic and miserable, but I'm rather jaded on the subject by now. Because with the internet, there's a level of anonymity and people feel more comfortable in being rude on yeah. the internet. And, you know, you see this everywhere. You see this social media, you see this in blogs, but in the dating world, it's become this thing of you can reject people and it doesn't, it's not as intense. It's not as miserable as when you try to break up with someone face to face or, you know, the favorite thing of ghosting. So just no reason to stop talking to you. Just not going to talk to you anymore. My favorite, which is breadcrumbing. That's a fun term (laughs) of, so they'll stop talking to you for two, three months. Maybe they've found someone else to talk to And then a little while later, they pop up and they're like, oh, hey, how's things? Sorry, I've been busy. And they keep you on the hook just enough that you stay interested in them because obviously you swiped right or started the chat with purpose. And so you kind of get caught in this cycle and then they'll ghost you again and then they'll come back or they'll just be really sparse with their conversation. It's a whole mess. And then you've got the, you know, Persian prince in your inbox who's trying to buy you for 10,000 rupees. The answer is no, for the record. It really becomes this kind of game that people play. And I mean, I'm guilty of this too. Like if I'm on a dating app lately, it's mostly just like, do you look interesting? Eh, Nah, left. Do you look interesting? Maybe, kind of, right. 
uh, and like, you know, I, because my mom and I are very close, you know, we'll be on a dating app together. She'll be sitting next to me and she'll be like, oh no, you can't, you can't swipe on him. You can't swipe on her. Like, mm-mm, nope. Or she'll be like, oh, yes, that one looks great. And she'll swipe for me before I even have a chance to analyze it. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mama gets. <laughs> she She's doing her best to find me somebody. She's also accidentally swiped on people that she said no to. She swiped right on. And then we've matched and it's been mad awkward. Well, you know, um, she has trouble with right left things. But it, again, it's it's that level of this is a game. These are real people on the other end. And yeah, they'll never know if I swiped right or left on them. Well, they'll know if I swiped right and we matched. But they don't know what I'm thinking when I look at their profile. To which, you know, people out there with with profiles, stop doing the selfie that's up your nose. I just don't understand. That's my PSA. So, (laughs) (laughs) like, it's just not a good look. That level of being able to be vulnerable, it's really challenging with how impermanent the online dating is. You know, if you do match and you start getting close with someone and you're feeling vulnerable and you're sharing with them, you start to get this thing where like your phone buzzes and you're like, is it them? And you start to check out of your other life, right? So, I mean, that level of technology pulling you away from your day-to-day living, which is a little bit different now with everything being online. But it used to be like if you're out to dinner with other friends and constantly checking your phone to see if they texted you back, trying to figure out that dynamic of when am I being pulled too far away from my present life to engage with this new character who may or may not stick around. And that concept of random reinforcement is really the strongest shaping behavior because you never know when you're going to get it. And that hit feels so good. It's why gambling is so addictive. Yep. Sorry, friends. I am very jaded in this, but you, you meet good people, whether or not, well, you sometimes meet good people, whether or not it ends up being a dating aspect. I have met several friends that are truly good friends to me now from dating apps or dating circles. Where, you know, it started out like, oh, hey, maybe we could be something. And then it was clear, like, "Eh, maybe not. But we stayed friends because there was that level of shared interest, that shared respect, that curiosity about the world. And the small talk became deeper conversation. So one of the things, the, the hopefulness here is if you can use the dating apps to meet the person, but then engage the interpersonal skills to actually connect with them because any relationship requires you to adapt to some level and that takes work. And part of the thing with the dating app is it's not very much work to swipe right or left, but it is work to actually negotiate how to create a space that is comfortable for both people. So if you can make that transition, the dating app is actually a great way to meet a whole lot of people in a pretty time efficient way. But then you just have to take the time to build the relationship. And at the end of the day, really be honest with the people that you're meeting. I get it. It's online. There's a level of, you know, distance and you might not feel the need to be honest with them. But I can successfully say I've only ghosted one person and that was 300% by accident. I forgot to save their phone number. 
Oh. And so I just never texted them. Oh, bummer. You know, and then they popped up and they were like, oh my gosh, you haven't texted me. Like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, yo, my bad. And we started talking and I was like, you know what? I, this isn't feeling the same as when we first started talking. I'm not really interested in pursuing this any further. I appreciate it. Good luck. I sound like a business interview when I'm trying to end relationships. It's kind of comical. (laughs) The important part, again, is that communication. Honor these people. I get it. Dating app. You're not that close, but honor them. They're humans. Just say goodbye or this is not working. It is really not that hard to share that with someone else. Wow, I have a lot to say about online dating. I mean, online dating is overwhelming, and I do believe the majority of singles who are experiencing this will agree. There's a level of just frustration with how many people lie or, you know, are claiming to be single and are not. And, you know, which that'll be a whole different episode. And it's hard and you start to feel jaded and you start to want to pull away from it. But also in today's society, that's really what we have, which I'm totally here for if one of my friends set me up on a blind date. I've asked my parents to arrange a marriage at this point. (laughs) (laughs) That's my exhaustion. And I don't think that it's fair of me to bash on online dating as much as I just have, because many people have met great people through it and have found the love of their life or have found someone that they've wanted to settle down with. So there is some part of it that does work. I just have a lot of bad luck. I don't think it's it's just bad luck. It's a difficult format. It lets you meet a lot of people efficiently, but it doesn't, unless the people use the app accurately, you can create a lot of misunderstanding. And when certainly when they put a photo that is not them, and then you go to meet them for the first time, and it's like, uh, I can't identify you based on the photo you had in the app. You know, those kinds of things are probably not going to set you off in the right direction for positive trust. And also, PSA for people who are going on dates with people they've met online, please secure a way out because there's so much anonymity. You don't know necessarily who you're meeting. And also, dates can go bad real fast. I've been there, done that. Make sure you have a friend who's available to call you or assist you as a way out. Dates can get scary. And this is all ends of the spectrum. This is not just women, but I do speak as a woman. It's not always safe. Meet in a public place. Get coffee as opposed to drinks because you never know how someone's going to act after that first beer. Coffee is a pretty safe thing. Coffee or tea. Just think about what you're doing and where you're going. Don't go to their house as a first date. Just don't do it. Okay, thanks. So this week we dove into some of the challenges of making friends as a young adult. Most folks start strong with their schools providing a foundation of shared experience to build friendships out of, but once out in the world, it can be harder to find new friends. We also discussed being deliberate and selective about making new friends. You want to make sure to set aside time to build relationships, but you also don't want to waste time trying to be friends with someone who isn't going to reciprocate. And last, we got into romantic relationships as a young adult, and specifically the role technology plays in that process now. If there are any 20-somethings out there listening, we hope you learned something, or at least nodded your head in agreement at some point. 
Don't forget, if you like the show, we need your help. We're always looking for new subjects and new questions, and we'd love to create content around what you want to hear. So reach out at any time to questions at afpsych.com. And of course, we're always fishing for ratings. So if you have a moment, hop in iTunes and give us those sweet, sweet stars. As always, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.